Hello, Dave. Hello, Ollie. Hello. How are you? Hello, I'm very well. Thank you. Welcome to Sustainable 29. Welcome, Ollie, to Sustainable 29. We are your friendly little environment podcast about why everything to do with politics and the planet and the way people mess it up is also complicated and difficult. And uh, this week we're going to be talking about what? Well, we are talking about all sorts of things. The following will be included. We've got some bees, so that's su- sustainable. Um, we- we're going to be talking about bacon and meat, so that's sub bacon babble. Uh, Belgium crops up, sub Belgium babble, um, and and some kind of mansplaining going on. So that's mansplainer babble, and Shell have lost a load of money. So we'll talk about that. Um, <laughs> you couldn't you couldn't think of anything for, for Shell? No, sorry, no, sorry. No, okay. Okay. Shell stain Shell. No, mm-hmm. probably not. Um, just uh, we work for environmental charities, as you know by now, listener. But these are very much our own views. Uh, so do take up with us anything that you hear in this edition, and not with anyone else. Very good. Shall we crack on? Uh, let's. Sustainable of the week. So sustainable of the week. Sustainable. This in a bee. Yes, yeah, yes, yes, I got it. I think, yes. I think the yes, listeners will good. understand. This is the section every week. I'm not sure the listeners. I'm not sure the listeners are remotely <laughs> tolerant of it. Anyway, <laughs> please stay. Uh, this is the section every week where we have a look at the nonsense, the guff, the drivel that's been spoken, usually by people pretending to be green, but we understand what's really going on, and it's it's greenwash, it's rubbish, and this week. Well, it's the UK government. Again, they've cropped up with some some guff. And, well, you know, on the face of it, it's not a bad thing. What's happened, right, is that the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, they stuck out a press release with a nice cheery little photo about their boss, the Environment Secretary, Elizabeth Truss. And she has collected 60 jars of honey produced by DEFRA's bees. On their roof, you know that's nice, isn't it? What the bees? Bees produce honey on the roof. What? Yes, yes. They've got beehives on the roof of Defra, and they're making honey. And oh, she's, she's, yeah, oh, right. yeah. She's, okay. How long have they been up there for then? I don't know. Oh. Why are you asking me? What do you know about bees? You've got bees, haven't you? Yeah, they died. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <but> we'll, <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get some more. No, Defra's got some bees, as a lot of London rooftops have got, actually, um, and they produce some honey. And and the Environment Secretary's put a nice fluffy press release out saying, isn't this wonderful, you know, we've been collecting our honey. And, um, well, in particular, there was one phrase that really stuck out, and let's listen to uh, my six-year-old niece, Arabella, uh, reciting what the wonderful Liz Truss has said. We may not all be beekeepers, but we can all do our bit to help these insects flourish. What's wrong with that then? Well, you know, nothing really on the face of it. It's the, my only small problem is that 
you know, if it was you saying this, saying we can all do our bit, um, that's fair enough. You could you could have a beehive or you could just not kill bees. The thing is, it's the government. And, you know, I think them doing their bit. Um, well, they're not really doing their bit, are they? Because let's be honest, what they are doing in contravention of European law, European law, they are allowing pesticides, these horrible, horrible things called neonicotinoids to be treated onto the seeds that farmers are some farmers are planting this year and that is in the flying in the face of all of the science which says these things destroy bees right they're evil that every week there's new uh, evidence coming in saying that this stuff these neonicotinoid pesticides are basically sort of ddt for bees and i just think it's a bit rich to be sending nice little pictures of yourself uh, labelling up Whitehall honey when you are also giving the green light to pesticide companies to kill bees, allegedly. Uh, it makes me cross. It just makes me cross. It's greenwash. It's diversion. Look over here. We're being lovely about our bees, the 60 on our roof. We're just, you know, knackering all the other ones. Are you not being a little bit unfair, right? No. Uh- And the reason why I'm asking you this is because of the following, right? So they've got loads of beehives on their roof and they're encouraging. They have this thing, don't they, the government, called a National Pollinator Strategy, which is all about planting wildflowers and encouraging people to look after bees. And most of the stuff that has to be done to look after bees has got to be done, you know, in people's gardens and getting bees all over the place and everyone doing their bit. And that's all important, right? And it's not that they Uh. don't... You know, you're making it sound a bit like that's all fluff and nonsense and, and gibberish. But if, you know, that will be quite important. Right, And then on the side, they've got this one bit of European law that they are allowing under some specific circumstances to be flouted by farmers for a bit because the farmers are saying, but if we don't do this, all our crops are going to die and be eaten by pests. Right. What are they supposed to do? Are you not being a little bit unfair about that? No, I'm not. I'm not being in the slightest bit unfair. Right. I'll pick you up on a couple of things. The most important thing for bees is not what happens in people's gardens because beating, most of beating the land... QPR, isn't it? That's the most important thing for bees. Oh. Listener, for anyone who doesn't know what the hell he's going on about, Brentford are known as the Bees. Dave supports Brentford and he's all happy. Look how happy he is because they beat QPR last night, which is apparently important. Anyway, we can move on from that now. No more mentions of Brentford. Or I'll start talking about James Bond, which I went to see last night. No spoilers. No spoilers. Okay. Right. No. The important thing is what happens in the vast amounts of agricultural land in this country, okay? What happens in gardens is very important, clearly, and it's important that people don't spray pesticides on their flowers um, needlessly. That is clearly important, and it is important that people plant wild flowers and and bee-friendly flowers in their gardens, definitely. But if you've got vast, vast monocultures in the countryside being covered in pesticides or rather the the seeds of these things being treated with pesticides so that the whole plant uh, grows to to include it, then that is just hugely damaging. It's massively impactful. And the idea that farmers shouldn't play some sort of role um, in in addressing what is a very, very serious and chronic decline in bee uh, species and numbers in this country is frankly farcical. Ooh. I don't eat no ham and eggs, cause I'm high in cholesterol. Hey, yo, fight, do you eat them? No tip, do you eat them? Uh-uh, hey, not at all. Again. 
so from Sustainer Beeble, yeah, to Sir Bacon Babble, because we want to talk about meat. And the reason we want to talk about meat is because this week, probably in the UK, the biggest news story was the bombshell news that your bacon sandwich gives you cancer, or at least that's how it was reported. That's right. The World Health Organization, who are a uh, who are a bunch of scientists who tell everyone what's going to kill them. Basically, they came out and they said um, meat is going to kill you, so stop eating it. And everyone went, "Oh Jesus Christ, really? Oh, that's awful!" And started really freaking out about it. And then the WHO, the World Health Organization, came out a bit later and said, "No, hang on, it's all right. I didn't we didn't mean to cause any panic or alarm with that massive report <laughs> and extensive set of press releases saying." Yeah, which you. we trailed which we trailed all over the place <laughs> what, what we meant was eat a bit less of it and you'll probably be all right that's what they said so specifically they're talking about processed meat weren't they really so not not just all meat um or even all red meat but they're talking about the stuff which has had stuff done to it so it's smoked or it's had added salt or other preservatives yeah. um stuff like bacon or rubbish sausages um or, twizzlers or, I mean, yeah, I mean, Christ, they're definitely bad for you, but yeah. so delicious. Uh, and yes, it all was a bit of a mess, wasn't it? And you had, not only did you have the usual um, suspects like the Daily Mail saying, your bacon sandwich causes you cancer, but like the Guardian were doing exactly the same thing. A lot of people were reporting the stat that um, you increase by having less than two slices of bacon a day. Fewer than. Uh, hmm? Fewer than. Oh, yeah. Well, the BBC said less than, <gasps> uh, but they're wrong. I don't pay they're my licence fee for that. Hang on a minute. <laughs> they're wrong. <laughs> Do you pay your licence fee at all? Yes. <laughs> right, OK. <laughs> Fewer than two slices of bacon a day constitutes your 50 grams of processed meat, which also apparently constitutes an increase by 18% of your chance of developing colorectal cancer, or what I like to call bum problems. And this is clearly <laughs> this is clearly a big deal. I don't think anyone wants an increased chance of cancer, let alone an increase of 18%. No. So understandably, everyone, the world's media, or certainly the UK's media, got very upset about it. Now, my alarm bells were ringing, I have to say, when I saw this, because I just... I just get a bit nervous when people say increasing your chances by 18% because I was like, well, what are your chances to begin with? And actually, when you look into it and when to be fair to who, uh, when you look at their report, it does actually go into a level of detail which shock horror. The newspapers didn't. And it says, look, they've got categories of carcinogens, the WHO, and they have said in this report, I think for the first time, that Processed meat is now in the same category of carcinogens, things that cause cancer, as smoking and asbestos. And that is very bad. However, what they're also saying is that your chances of getting cancer from smoking and asbestos, um, or even smoking asbestos, which I imagine would be the worst possible thing to do, are vastly, vastly higher than they are from eating bacon. It's just that they're in the same category. And that was a nuance that no one bothered reporting. And and I, I do think it makes our kind of cause harder to win um, and the argument harder to win um, when that sort of sloppiness is how it's, um, is how it's portrayed. 
as soon as you start mentioning meat, people go peculiar, right? But it's such a massive impact on not just, it doesn't just cause emissions. I mean, there's some huge amount of methane comes out of the back end of cows and all of the factory farming and the slurry and the fuel and all of that. The UN say 14.5% of all the world's emissions are from meat, but you could take that a lot higher if you include the impact of clearing all the land and all the fuel and all that sort of stuff and transporting it all around. So it's massive, massive, it's, it's massive. Well, that is that is the big thing, isn't it? People, people get very um, upset about food miles and stuff, which is obviously an important thing. But it's not the big thing in, in meat production. It is, like you say, the huge amounts of rainforest or, or other um, woodland that needs to be cleared. So you get, you're getting rid of a carbon sink uh, in order to grow the crops or, or, or graze the livestock that we then um, consume. So grow the crops to feed the livestock or graze the, graze the animals themselves. And it's just, it's mind-blowing. Look at the pictures that come out of like Brazil and places. And it's, oh, you can't even see the trees on the horizon. It's, just, it's crazy. There was a, some statistics says that uh, two-thirds of all the land, of all, the, of all of the rainforest that's been chopped down in Brazil, which is a lot, a two-thirds of that was for soya to feed cattle or grain to feed cattle basically so that's it's a massive massive driver right and it's it's a huge thing and if you care genuinely if you if you if a martian was to come down and he was to land on earth and he was to say oh you're making a mess of this and we said to him yeah you're right mr martian but we can't see the wood for the trees (laughs) what should we what should we do about it he would go well why are you eating all them cows and chickens and pigs when you don't have to? In your life, right? Not your life, because you're veggie anyway, right? But the average UK person well, in their always, life... Eh? No, and neither was I, right? And the average person in their life is going to eat four cows, a goose, two and a half thousand fish, one and a half thousand chickens, 18 pigs, 23 sheep, 39 turkeys, 28 ducks, and a rabbit. <laughs> Just one rabbit? Just one rabbit, right? Just try it out and go, mm, not for me. It's the ears, isn't it? It takes a long time to get through <laughs> Sorry, it's not funny, but it's, <laughs> so it, it's funny. huge. And take that, multiply it by seven billion. And take people. that, and t- <laughs> we take that. <laughs> Jesus Christ! It only takes a minute, girl. Yeah, so take that amount of meat and multiply it by all of these people that want meat. We were talking a couple of episodes ago about China and saying that uh, 30 years ago, your average Chinese person ate something like one-tenth of a pig a year and that now your average Chinese person eats their fair share of the world's meat, i.e. there's a quarter of the world's population and they eat a quarter of the world's meat, which is a a lot, right? And you've got places like India where 31% of Indians are veggie, but you know as India industrialises and gets richer, all of the trends are that as countries get richer, they want to eat more meat it's going to be more emissions it's going to be more rainforest being chopped down and it's going to be more piggy wigs and chicken wicks being piled up sky high in horrible 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 factory farming conditions stuff which nobody in their right mind would have anything to do with except most people do yeah and that's one of the things that really kind of troubles me um is the 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 extent to which the meat industry have very very cleverly created this vast sort of distance between the reality of meat production um, and the, the the vision of it that you're given when you're when you're buying your stuff in the supermarket. I mean, you look at any kind of picture, uh, any packaging on a chicken or something, and it's got a picture of some sort of 1950s style bucolic kind of pasture yeah. with the chicken trotting around, being 
you know, handed Ferrero Rocher every now and then on a swing, on a, on a swing, you know, yeah, or the odd the odd cow kind of munching a bit of grass on a Welsh hillside, and on a swing, on a swing. And the reality, particularly for um, for chicken farming, is just brutal. Well, it is for all farming, isn't it? But you know, these things are their their feet are being sort of effectively sort of burnt off by the piles of ammonia they're having to wade through, and they can't turn round, and oh, it's just horrific, and. You know, the, the meat industry knows that people don't actually like that. You know, confronted with the reality of this stuff, people aren't idiots. They go, this is horrible. You shouldn't do that. And that's when you see little moments for change. And I think we've talked about this offline. But the idea that, you know, secret filming in, in abattoirs or um, in these factory farms uh, is sometimes some of the most effective ways of, of sort of shifting the debate along. Um, but the reality is that most people don't have to engage with the um, the harsh, harsh reality of factory farming. Except that actually, well, most people don't care about it, do they? And when you talk to people about food and whether, you know, anything to do with food, if I tell people I'm a vegan, well, I don't tell people I'm a vegan, really. And when they find out I'm a vegan, they put me in a box and shut me in the cupboard and pay the, get their neighbours to pay to come round and poke me with sticks. People think I'm <laughs> totally, totally weird. You were saying the other day, like even being a veggie, you find it, you, you know, you, you, members of your close family take umbrage. and, and, and Yeah, well, it's, well, a, it's, it's, a, just, it's a weird thing because people seem to think that, that by saying you're you're vegetarian, at least in my experience, you're kind of projecting your own values onto them, and you know, and people go, oh, well, why why shouldn't I meet eat, eat me, and and you know, what's so bad about it, and, and why are you telling me to do this and not do that? And so I'm not, <laughs> I'm just, it's just a choice I've made about my own lifestyle. I'm not projecting it onto you, um, but people do seem to react very defensively, and and they seem threatened by the idea that somebody else has made a choice which is, is different to theirs. And it's it's very odd because lots of people I know and love are very, very tolerant people, but but seem a bit kind of jumpy about all this. Yes, it is all very confusing and odd, isn't it? So I think we should talk to an expert because we don't know what the hell we're talking about, right? And so what we did was we called up our friend Vicky Hurd and you'll find out who she is and you'll find out what she thinks about talking to people about meat now. So we are joined now by the lovely, wonderful and talented Vicky Hurd. Hello, Vicky. Hello, Ollie and Dave. We wanted to talk to you because you are one of probably one of the country's most experienced and knowledgeable campaigners on food and farming. Um, would that be fair to say? Well, I like I like to think so. That sounds flattering, but yeah, that, that's fine. I've done it for many, many years. Uh, as you know, we are talking about meat um, and all of the good things and bad things for the environment, um, and well, mainly bad things to be honest. And one thing um, that we particularly wanted to ask you about, as somebody who has campaigned on this stuff for a while, is why is it so hard? Why is it so hard, or is it so hard to convince? people in the round and governments and institutions that we have to do something about the way we farm meat and the way we consume meat for the planet well i've long thought about this because it has been very hard i mean it took me two years to persuade a a certain very well-known good environmental organization to work on meat despite the very overwhelming evidence of harm so you know that 
that took me a long time to get people who really understand the stuff. So when you actually go out to people, I think one of the biggest issues is it's so much part of people's identity. It's who they are is what they eat. And if you start to challenge that, they don't hear anything else. One of the big problems is that it's, it's such a personal thing. You know, it's an essential thing. You're putting food in your mouth. It's very much about what you've habitually eaten, what your parents gave you, what your friends gave you. So you don't, when, when somebody talks to you about meat, you immediately, I think, think about all that stuff and, and the wonderful stuff you eat. You don't listen beyond that. So there's a, I've found over the years, it's got much better, but I have found over the years that, that, that people won't hear beyond the first discussion. So it's it, in particular, if you're an environmentalist, then they'll think you're trying to stop them doing something rather than asking them to help you in a campaign to get government changes or anything like that. So it's, it's what you've got to do is have, be, have the right um, person speaking. So who's, who's the person speaking for you? Um, and you've got to think about how you introduce the subject. Um, but it, it, it's not easy. There's also the issue of farmers and feeling like it's an attack on farmers. Is it like, um, we were talking the other day about this, and we were also talking about things like flying and yeah. things that basically, that, that some sorts of environmental campaign feel like they're a personal sacrifice. Mm. They feel like you're asking someone to give up something that they see as a luxury or part of who they are. Do mm. you see an- analogies with flying in those sort of campaigns? And is there anything you can learn from that? Yeah, absolutely. I think when you mentioned cars as well, um, there's an analogy with cars and asking people to change their their um, habits in terms of um, having a car or using their car is, I think there's something similar. But it's, it's, I think it goes further than those two things. Um, it is about freedoms, but it's, it's defeated about identity and values and um, a cultural identity as well. If you've got a culture of, of um, eating meat three times a day because your family did it and things like that, then it's quite a huge thing to get over. Um, but, you know, equally the, the cars and the, the um, aeroplanes, that's about choice as well and about you know our, our desire to experience um and that's that's a big thing to be talking to people about so you've got to do it very carefully and what what do you think vicky that if you look at say all the different reasons mm. why people might eat less meat so maybe it's a health mm. concern or an environmental mm. one mm. or an animal welfare one mm. or price you mm. know all of these things what what combination of those do you think is most likely to affect the biggest change or is that just a stupid question that i shouldn't have asked i think given the range of um people that you're trying to reach you know there's you know there's no single consumer as I, i'm you know often realizing in this work you have to plug all those press all those buttons um and I, it's hard to pin down one particular factor a lot of people say to me oh it must be health you know now people know that it's bad for them they'll eat less and that if only that were true <laughs> people still smoke people still <laughs> overeat um i'd love to think that that was true so i you know i think after all these years that we have to get people talking to each other and it's having the the person the voice talking to you is a person you trust about this Mm -hmm. and so if they're talking to you about the environment if you trust them on the environment they might you might actually get it or if you trust them on health so it's all those issues i mean the nice thing about me is that it does cover all those issues it's it's absolute win 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 all round um you know for health environment your pocket all those kind of things um so you can pick any button to press depending on who you're talking to what do you Mm -hmm. think are the big challenges 
um, or the opportunities even on the systemic end in, in terms of getting governments to fix this and getting institutions to behave better so that it's not all down to whether or not you eat that yeah. burger. Yeah, I think this is really, really important because it isn't, you know, we can't leave it all to people and whether they read the labels, whether they can understand what pasture fed beef is compared to not pasture, you know, all that kind of thing. So it's got to be government action, you know, and that's what we've, I've been campaigning for for years. So it'll be areas like, you know, how we finance farming so that the you know because we subsidize farming three billion a year whatever um in subsidies as taxpayers so shifting that subsidy so it supports the right kind of farming so good um meat and plants can actually be available and affordable to people and crap meat isn't you know that that would be great that would be shifting the balance um and stopping us importing huge amounts of soya um because you know, if, if we could change the system so that that becomes more expensive, that, that would work. Or we're producing our own feed here so it's not harming the planet. Um, so then people say to me, well, um, what about the low incomes? You want to have meat and cheap meat. You're stopping them being able to eat. That's not fair. So we ha- but that's all about poverty and people on low incomes. It's not about food. So I could go on <laughs> at length about that, you know, what we need to do to tackle food poverty. And it, but that's a lot to do with poverty, which isn't the subject of your um, discussion today. So let's, you know, it, it's very important, but uh, that's something we, we need to discuss separately. In terms of other measures, we need um, to look at procurement in schools and hospitals. We could make flexitarian dishes, less and better dishes in schools, the norm. Flexi um, what? Flexitarian means eating. Basically, changing your diet to reflect your desire to eat um, better for the planet and for you. And flexitarian these days generally means less and better meat in your diet. That um, that leads me nicely onto my my last question. Actually, and, um, are you hopeful? Do you think do you think we're going to see the change that's required? Um, I'm not hopeful on the policy side at the moment. Um, I think you've covered in your other sustainable bubbles what's going on with this government and you know the <laughs> idea lovely. that they're cutting. Short. Yeah, they're lovely. I don't. Yeah, absolutely. Crazy, crazy government co- cutting subsidies to renewables, which will provide more jobs. Yeah, all that is is madness. Which you know is also part of the food poverty equation. You know, we need people to have good jobs and sustainable jobs so they can eat well. Um, you know, all these things connect. But um, in terms of people, I think the direction of travel. Is, is going in the right way whether it's going fast enough um, people are eating less meat even in America I saw a data recently um, it's really leveled off and is going down in some parts of America so um, whether that makes me hopeful I don't know it's also you've, you started with this discussion by saying how, you know, how difficult it is to get people to talk meat and that kind of puts people off campaigning on it um, and I think that's a shame because you do need to still campaign Vicky, thank you so much for joining us on Sustainer Babble. Fascinating and interesting, and you are lovely. Thank you. Thank you very much, and go Flexi. So campaigning on all of this stuff is a funny old business, isn't it? And I think the climate change world has really shifted in the last kind of five, ten years from a place where it seems to be very much don't fly, don't drive a car, don't buy any clothes ever that have been made by somebody. Don't flush the toilet. Um, Don't eat anything other than sawdust. And it was, you know, a very sort of personal thing. It's down to individuals. And people realised that that wasn't working because it isn't individuals' faults. It's actually kind of systemic, isn't it? Um, Don't use the klaxon on me for that. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. (laughs) 
Okay, it's down to governments and institutions and companies. And we, you may have noticed that we're having a lot more success, I think, by saying it's the fault of people like Shell and Exxon and the fossil fuel companies, and it's the fault of governments for not sorting stuff out. It's not our fault. It's not my fault. My, oh, it's not my fault. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm terribly sorry. I thought you were saying it's my fault, but it's not. It's everyone else's fault. Exactly. It's those big companies. Fault. Oh, that's, yeah, I'm totally with you. Absolutely. Where do I sign? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <It's> stupid. <laughs> it's not stupid. It's not stupid. It is uh, It's true because let's be honest, you know, Exxon have done more to da- damage the planet than even you or you, <laughs> even you are capable of. Really? <laughs> that, that is true. That is true. And I just, I'm not sure that the kind of meat and farming uh, world, if you like, or people campaigning on those issues has made quite the same leap because somehow it does seem very much rooted in the idea of, well, what should I be eating? You know, should I eat this? Should I eat that? Should I have less of that? And I just think we're never going to win while it's still on that level. Are we? <laughs> Reasons to be cheerful. So, reasons to be cheerful. This week, we wanted to talk about Belgium. So, Belgium babble. They've done something rather brilliant. What they have done, they have announced an ambitious project, they call it, to power 170 trains by wind energy. How's that going to work? We'll put turbines on the front and then as the engine goes. That doesn't make any sense. How are you going to power them by wind energy? Well, if you'll let me finish... Uh, what what about actually... when they go through tunnels or fall off? Shut up, go away. They have um, decided to build turbines along the side of the train tracks and those turbines are going to generate power which are going to power the bloody trains. 35,000 megawatt hours they're going to generate um, from these 25 turbines which is enough to power 10,000 homes and about two-thirds of that electricity um, is needed for the rail line. Um, so there will still be some surplus from that. And I just think it's rather brilliant, isn't it? Because why not have wind turbines lining train lines or, you know, motorways for that point? I just think it's a, think it's a good thing. So how are the trains going to run if the wind doesn't blow there? Well, obviously they're going to run from power from the grid. This is a, it's a um, symbolic way of putting it, isn't it? Symbolic. Or, well, do I mean symbolic? That's probably not the word. Evidently, they're not saying these trains are going to only be powered by the the electricity that the turbines generate. They're saying we're putting in turbines that will generate power equivalent to that needed by these trains. Right, Okay. And I, okay, I accept that that's a bit whiffly. No, that's a, it's a bit whiffly. It's a bit whiffly. I think if it was, uh, I tell you what, all it is, is that if a fossil fuel company was saying exactly the same thing, but they were talking about like, you know, we'll power all the trains by building this coal plant or something, then we would haul them over the Babel rocks for it. But actually, I suppose I'm just, yeah, fine, whatever, get on with it. Brilliant, good stuff, build. In half of the week. So, Inhofe time. Inhofe of the week is the section of the show named after the American senator Jim Inhofe, who's a douchebag because he thinks climate change isn't happening because there's still snow. So every week we see who else has been a douchebag, and we think we've got a first this week, which is a woman. Yes, our first female Inhofe, Inhofe et. Um, this is a lady whose name is Professor Averell, Averill MacDonald. 
um, off of the University of Reading. And she is also the chairwoman of a thing called UK Onshore Oil and Gas, UKUG. Mm. which is a thing that is basically about a government, a bit of government, that is promoting the shale industry. Yes? Yes, yes. And what she... Yeah, absolutely. Go back to episode two and listen to Frack, Frack, Frack. Very nice. They are all out for shale, as is our Prime Minister. Um, And, well, as trailed at the beginning of this show, she's done a bit of um, what you'd call sort of mansplaining if it was a man doing it, um, which is why we're calling it Mansplainer babble. Mansplainer babble of the week. Mm, yes, yes. Uh, and what she said is quite astonishing. Uh, she has said not only do women show more of a concern about fracking, they also know that they don't know and they don't understand. It's just amazing. She, she's basically saying that um, there is a discrepancy in the polling about the concern for fracking. Um, among men and women. More women are concerned about it than men, according to the polls, at least. But what she's then gone on to say is basically because women don't understand. Mm, bless them. Bless them. It's just uh, quite apart from being a sweeping generalisation, which she cannot substantiate, which for a professor is a bit worrying. It's just deeply sexist and misogynistic and and crazy. Uh, and she goes on to say that they make decisions using their gut and they're more likely to form opinions based on feel. Oh, it's just crazy. Unbelievable. sound like a slug. <laughs> Yeah, um, a bit. So is it? Is it? I don't know. She's a lady. So is it really misogynistic for a lady to say this about other ladies? Well, I think that I think the statement is inherently misogynistic, isn't it? Mm, I suppose it probably is. Yeah. Although, so okay, uh, is, this, is she that has been properly hauled over the, uh, the, the the tar for this one, and she probably regrets saying it, and uh, she'd probably say it didn't come out right. And I was wondering whether or not because she is a emeritus professor of what was it science engagement at the University of Reading, right? So it's not like she doesn't know her stuff so do you think she was making some sort of bigger point that somehow got lost in translation was she basically saying that women don't women's engagement with science is not the same doesn't work in the same way as the men's engagement with science obviously at a very general kind of level i mean presumably she's got something to back that up right um so was she basically saying that women are women are less likely to trust something that is new and whizzy and scientific um, and probably less likely to be interested to delve into the detailed science of it i mean I, i'm not I, i'm just you know, i'm wondering where she got that from given that she does actually kind of know some stuff about science i don't know i mean to be honest i i was quite happy just reading the headlines and um sounding off about it but uh, i do think um there's probably something interesting to be said about, okay, well, why is it there is this discrepancy? You know, what is what is it that the industry is failing to communicate um, to one section of the population and, and not to the other? Um, but that should have been her tact. To, to just then say, oh, it's because women don't understand is, is bonkers. Um, to be honest, though, I, I do wonder, like, who's doing the PR for the fracking industry? Because, I mean, it's the gift that keeps on giving, isn't it? If you... Yeah, if, you, if you're opposing fracking, you just, you know, first you have Lord Howe, the recently deceased Lord Howe, actually, didn't he? He died the other week. Is he uh, bread, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, a couple of years ago, he said that, look, you know, why are we trying to do fracking in the southeast when we can just go and do it in the, you know, the desolate north where people don't care and people don't matter and it's it's not pretty up there? 
all of this sort of stuff, which just, you know, confirms that it's a bunch of rich boys in the southeast who want to get money out of the soil. And this sort of stuff just compounds that. Stop. If you're in the fracking industry, right, listen up. Stop being stupid. You can win a lot more arguments by not saying stupid things. Um, although if you're, you know, if you are listening, carry on being stupid because, frankly, it's, it's doing us all a big favour. Schadenfreude of the week. This is the bit where people who are nasty get their comeuppance. And who have we got this week, Dave? Oh, well, uh, we do like to talk about Shell on this podcast, and we do particularly like to point and laugh at Shell when they do weird things. So last week we talked about Shell's crazy nice vegan bottom uh, video. Go back and listen to episode 28 for that. And that was followed by, immediately after Sustainable turned our fire upon them, uh, news that they would lose $2 billion after cancelling a plan to get the tar sand oil out, which is quite funny, and that comes on the foot. Oh, I think it was a few weeks before that we talked about them writing off. Was it seven billion dollars? Yeah, uh, up in the Arctic where they had gone seven for ages, to nine, depending seven to on nine, nine yeah, yeah, gone for ages money. trying to get oil out of the Arctic, and then uh, gave up on that as well. So they've based two was it ten billion dollars they have spent and it's effectively torn up and ploughed into a massive hole in the ground and covered it with snow and left it there, right? And they're doing it because they're trying to find all these new edgy frontier ways of getting oil out like you know going into the tar sands and mucking that up and going into the arctic and mucking that up and finding the places where they can continue to get more oil for years and 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 they're just finding it not worth their while right so they're just wasting all this money trying to do it and i think it's quite funny prediction time so, prediction time, my favourite bit of the show, and also the favourite bit of the show for one of our lovely Twitter followers who said how much they like it when we whap our crystal balls out, um, which is what we do. We whap our crystal balls on the table and stare into them to try and work out what's going on. Um, so far, in the previous 28 shows, I've got the prediction right four times, Dave's got it right once. And, uh, well, I did slightly overreach this week, um, because last week it was my turn. Shall we hear what I said? I've got a prediction. Um, I think that at the Rugby World Cup final, which is being played on Halloween, I think we said, and uh, will be a big global TV event, I think there's going to be some sort of protest. Now, I'd like to stress... Yeah, now, far be it from me to pour technical hot water upon your ointment, but uh, (laughs) you, um, we can't do that yet, can we? Because at the time of recording, it ain't happening. No, at the time of recording, there are a lot of very muscly men limbering up and covering their loins in oil um, but not yet engaging in full combat because the world cup final hasn't happened um we can put that on hold we can i'm magnanimous as you know i don't i don't Mm. mind when someone predicts something that doesn't you know immediately Mm. happen in that week i'm happy to let it tickle on okay how's that prediction that you made three weeks ago coming along that's still not happened yet but that that, that will happen okay Okay. right so i've got a prediction so this week is setting fire to things week (laughs) it's the week where it's the week where you burn no that's not nice look out everyone for hedgehogs in your bonfire seriously do it the hedgehogs are there are there were 30 million of them a few few decades ago now there are only one million go back and listen to episode 10 for more on that you're good that is really good if that is true i predict (laughs) the following right i think there is going to be somewhere in the uk 
Oh, this is this is not a massively surprising prediction, but uh, wait, there's going to be a bonfire. Go, oh. a, a big one. <laughs> oh, atop of which is a guy which will look like George Osborne, right? And the prediction is that this picture of George Osborne, the guy burning on top of a of a of a fire, will appear in several newspapers um, a day or two after after it's happened. So that's my prediction, is you will see pictures, several pictures of George Osborne uh, as a guy on top of a fire, burning. So that is just about it for Sustainable 29. Thank you for sticking with us through all the puntastic content. Um, thank you, as ever, to the wonderful Dickie Moore of, of Bearcraft, who provides the music bits for the beginning, the end, and the stingers in the show. Thank you to Vicky Hurd, our friend, for coming on and uh, giving us a different perspective on some stuff. And thank you, as always, to Arabella for so bravely reading out that terrible, horrible babble. <laughs> You can get in touch with us uh, via the usual channels. Send us an email at hello at sustainable.fish or follow us on Twitter at the Babble Wagon or come and have a look at our Facebook page. Just search Facebook for Sustainable. Right, very good. Be careful, have fun. Uh, don't set fire to any hedgehogs and we will see you next week. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.